So Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. There are many lessons in chapter 3, but I, I'm just going to dwell on three of them today, talk about three of them. Uncovered, covered, and wait. Uncovered, covered, and wait. Ruth chapter 3. So you remember the characters, the players in the book of Ruth. You've got Boaz, the family redeemer. You've got Naomi, the mother-in-law. You've got Ruth, the daughter-in-law, Orpah, that's in the first chapter, that decides to not move back to Bethlehem and, and go back to Moab and live there among her people. And so the story unfolds now as the Lord provides for Ruth and for Naomi. And we see many wonderful lessons in this story. One lesson is, is that the Lord has prepared Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer, to be a man of influence, a man of good character, of moral values, and a man after God's own heart and desires to take care of his family. And we see Ruth willing to work, willing to work for the scraps, for the leftovers in the field. And Naomi loving Ruth and Ruth loving Naomi. Ruth is living with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and there is a love story here that is really special and deep and unique. Chapter 3, one day, we don't know how long it took between chapter 2 and 3, but so I'm assuming one day down the road, day after day, Naomi sees Ruth leave and go out to the fields. Ruth brings home harvest every day. They have plenty of food. They, they're being taken care of. But one day comes along. I'm sure that uh, Naomi just didn't think of this off the top of her head. I'm sure she was considering it. It just makes sense to her. But one, one day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. It's interesting that Naomi sees this as her responsibility. Naomi says, I, I, I got to help you. It's my responsibility. I, I, I need to find a permanent home for you so that when I'm gone, you'll be provided for and so that you can go on and live your life. I'm sure that because of the conversation that we see Naomi having with Ruth and Orpah in chapter 1, that that's been on the top of uh, Naomi's mind for a long time. She loves Ruth, and, and she wants Ruth to have a family, to be cared for, to have, have that security in her life. So she says, you got a plan. It's time I find a permanent home for you. And she says, Boaz is a close relative of ours. Now, Boaz is not in the direct line of Ruth, Ruth marries into the family, and, and, but Boaz, of course, is part of Elimex, the husband's family, blood family. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, the threshing floor was a place that was elevated some. It was a hard service. And it was a place where they would separate the chaff from 
the wheat, the chaff from the barley, get rid of the stalks and just have the grain so that they could be able to provide the breads and the food for everyone. And so the threshing floor was where they'd gather it during the evening when it was cooler and, and they would catch that breeze and they would toss up the, grain, the, the, the barley into the air and the, the, the grain would separate from stalks. And so Boaz is going to be there. Everybody knows he's going to be there, right? It's a time, you, it, day by day, you harvest, you've got to go, you've got to take care of things. And so it was a long day. And so Naomi knows Boaz is going to be there. Verse 3, now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Ruth, you need to get gussied up. You need to get everything looking really, really sharp. That's Naomi's advice to Ruth. Okay? Then go to the threshing floor. But don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. And so they, they eat, they drink, they work, they, they celebrate the harvest, and, and they're probably just a lot of talking going on, a lot of joking going on, just what you do. Be sure to notice where he lies down, Naomi tells Ruth. Be sure to notice where he lies down, where he's going to lie down to sleep. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there, and he will tell you what to do. Now, you read verses 1 through 4, and you think, my, 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 what in the world is going on here? Did Naomi just receive instruction or just give instruction to Ruth that she needed to, needed to hussy it up? Look your best, smell your best, wear your best, and, and see where that Boaz lies down and go over there and uncover his feet. Is it seduction? Is that what's going on here? Well, let's move along. Let's see. Verse 5. Are you getting kind of nervous? Getting kind of, oh, no. How am I going to explain this to my kids? I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Once again, miracle. No question about it. Think about that for a moment. Just these words, the miracle of these words, that the daughter-in-law followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, there's no way to explain that away. Boaz had a buzz. That's what it says there. He's been eating and drinking. He's been drinking wine, and he's got a buzz. He's feeling good. He, 
he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Uncovered. What's going on here? Is this seduction? Is this a provocative scene? Or is there something else going on here that that we need to look for in this story? And it says in verse 8, around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. And Ruth responds, I am your servant. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Now, one of the best ways to interpret the Bible is to let the Bible interpret the Bible for us. We need to look at it in context. We need to look at what's going on before and after. And so we're going to read a little bit more along so that we can understand what's happening here. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. So Boaz recognizes that what Ruth is doing here, following the instructions of Naomi, is showing family loyalty. It's not a provocative scene here. It appears to be a provocative scene, and we need to be careful that we picture things based on how we would see things and how things really are. And what is provocative now may have not have been provocative then. I kid you not, this scene in our culture is provocative. It really is, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing cultural about this for us in this situation. We're not even going to be asleep on the threshing floor, right? That's not going to happen in our world here today. And so it's an interesting story. Now look in verse 11. He says, now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. So this is not Ruth being unvirtuous, virtuous. She, she's not being shady. She, she's not being somebody that she's not. She's being who she is. And she is demonstrating to Boaz her loyalty. She is saying, this is me. This is who I am. I know who I am. I understand. And, and understand this way of going about with the family redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, is not the Boabite, Moabite way. It's the Hebrew way. And so she's demonstrating her conversion. She's demonstrating that she has gone from worshiping many gods to worshiping the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Boaz, the God of Naomi. And she's saying, I understand that you are the family redeemer. And I'm going to start with you for the protection, for the provision for my life. And so this is a wonderful statement about her heart. Her heart has been pierced. Her heart has been changed. Her heart is now faith in God. Okay. Something else we can consider here to understand this. Have you seen anything in Naomi that would lead you to believe that she would suggest to Ruth that that Ruth needed 
that Ruth needed to be like this, that Naomi would value this. There's nothing about Naomi's character that shows that. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Nothing whatsoever from Naomi. There's also nothing, nothing whatsoever from Ruth that she would be willing to do this, to trip up Boaz, to trap Boaz, to, to put Boaz in a difficult situation. And there's something else at play here. Naomi knows Boaz, and Ruth follows Naomi's instructions, and, and they understand and they know the character of Boaz. So, you know, you just know someone. You just know how they're going to respond. And, and they know that Boaz is not going to take advantage of Ruth. They just know that. Naomi knows that. She knows the man's character and his values, and it's not going to happen. So, this uncovering thing is simply Ruth defining her intentions, letting Boaz know what she, she's willing to do. And so, it's a statement of her surrender. It's a statement of her faith. It's a statement of her loyalty to the kinsman redeemer. All right. Now, in verse 9 and following, we see the covering. You have the uncovering of the feet, and then you have the covering. Look at verse 9. She says, spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The family redeemer, remember the family redeemer was instructed to care for family, to redeem land for family, to provide for family, and to watch over family, to help them along in life. When family goes through hard times, the family redeemer would take it upon themselves to use their resources that they have built up through the years to help them. And that's what you see here. And so, what Ruth is doing is saying, cover me with your blessings. Cover me with your heart. Cover me with your, uh, your virtue, with who you are. And so it says there in verse 10, if we've already read, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. So this idea of cover me, in our way of thinking, in our words, in our definition, it's our publicly professing our belief in Jesus. We are to go public. That's what the Scripture teaches us. We are not to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus, and we are to be open in our profession of who Jesus is. That, that understanding of Ruth saying, cover me with the corner of your blanket, is her publicly profess professing her belief. It's her being baptized. It's her repenting of her sin. It's her being forgiven, being covered. Her sins have been covered up by the Redeemer. It's our being filled and controlled with the Holy Spirit. When we are born again, Ephesians tells us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so her intention is, is that she would receive all that God has, and that's our salvation experience as well. It's our desire to now be obedient 
in all things. Cover me up with your covering. That's what Ruth is saying. And so when we come to the Lord, we, in, we, we state our need. Our need is we are broken. We have sinned. We, we, have, we have gone our own way. We have been disobedient. We have, and, and we come to recognize who the family redeemer is, Jesus for us. We come to him and say, I confess my sin. I admit my sin. I understand that I've been living my, in my own power, and now I submit and I surrender. Cover me with your love and your work that you have done for us on the cross. And then in Boaz says in verse 11, now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. Verse 12, but while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more close related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, I will talk to him. And so when he says there's another family member closer, he's the third cousin, but there's a second cousin in place. And it's responsible for the second cousin to step in before the third cousin. Perhaps that's the family layout. But while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more close related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. Now, the redeeming part is Naomi's land and Ruth. So there's land involved here. And so Naomi is willing to sell her family's plot for Ruth. No greater love than that. She's willing to, to give up on her land for her daughter-in-law, for her son, for her family, for her future grandchildren. So that's a beautiful picture here. And of course, part of that as well is the inclusion of Ruth. Ladies, would, would you like to be on that docket at the, the deed office? when the closing happens. Now, you, you get the land, but you also get Betsy. Betsy's standing there going, oh, you know, and the guy goes, I want the land, but I don't want Betsy. Well, the deal's off, right? That's, what, that's literally what's taking place here. So, verse 14, so Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got it before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz has said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Good old Boaz. Protect your reputation. He's already providing. He's already protecting. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to the mother-in-law, to her mother-in-law, Naomi, asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. All right, here's some marks in this chapter of the kinsman redeemer, the covered, the one that covers. First of all, he knows us. 
Jesus knows us. He knows our hurts. He knows our hang-ups. He knows our habits. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. He knows our past. And he's still reaching out to cover us. Boaz knew about Ruth. He knew about her character. He says she's a virtuous woman, and, and he was willing to protect her. He cared for her, just like Jesus cares for us. And so when we go to Jesus with our needs, with our problems, with our failures, he cares for us, and he wants to help us. And we also see here, once again, the Redeemer providing for Ruth and for Naomi. The Redeemer provides for us. He provides healing. He provides comfort. He provides security. And that's what we see happening here in the story. And he has plans for us. The Kins Redeemer had plans for Ruth and for Naomi. He gave her those plans. He said, well, first of all, we're going to get you out of here and and protect your reputation. And we're also going to take care of the business tomorrow. And, and I'm going to get the, we're going to go through the right steps in the right way. We are going to go to the closest redeemer to you, the, the closest family member to Elimech, and, and we're going to offer the deal with him. And that if, but, if, but if he refuses, I'll, I'll marry you. And so Boaz is saying to her that you're not going to lose tomorrow. There's no way you lose you're going to get the very best that we can give you. Isn't that what Jesus has done for us? In Jesus Christ, no matter what happens, we don't lose. We don't lose. There is a plan in place. And, and the plan is much like the plan that God has for Ruth here. I mean, if the very, very worst thing that we think could ever happen happens to us, we don't lose. We can lose our health, but we don't lose our eternity. We can lose our way, but we don't lose our salvation. We, we, can, we can be overcome with sin, but we don't lose that right relationship with him through what he's done for us. We can operate in our own power, and we can fail miserably, and he will still reach down and pick us up. That's who Jesus is. That's our Redeemer. That's what we have. And and Boaz is taking care of Ruth, and no matter what happens tomorrow, she's going to be taken care of, and she's not going to lose. You see the Lord Jesus all over that? Don't you see the gospel all over this situation, all over this story? Literally, that's how it is for us through Christ. He has plans for us. He provides for us. He cares for us, and he knows us. I can't think of a better reason than that. If you have not been covered by the love of Jesus, by the grace of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, that you ask for that covering so that you can have all he has for you. And then we have the lesson in the story of wait. Wait. Then Naomi said to her, I don't know that this is the best piece of information that Naomi gives Ruth, 
But boy, this is a good piece of advice. This is a good piece of information. Naomi says, just be patient. Just be patient. So, well, that's not complicated. That's not complex. Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. Listen to what she says about knowing who Boaz is. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Just wait. We've done all we can do. We've done everything we know to do, and now we need to wait. We, you have listened. Ruth, you have followed the instructions that I understand to be from the Lord. Now, we just need to wait. Just trust the Lord's people to do the right thing. Wait and trust Boaz to make the good decision. Follow through. I know he's going to follow through. Let's wait on the Lord to work. Don't get in the way now, Ruth, of what the Lord wants to do. Don't go call anybody. Certainly don't go find out who that other family redeemer is. Just wait for things to happen. Let Boaz handle this. Let the people that God has placed in your life do what they know they need to do and just wait for it to happen. Good lessons for all of us, isn't there? And, and, and perhaps the best lesson from wait on the Lord. Just be patient Wait on the Lord to, to fix it. Don't get in the way. Don't mess it up. Don't try to manage it yourself. Don't handle it yourself. You'll make a mess of it. It's not God's way for you to get in the way of what he wants to do. You've done all you need to do. You have prepared your plan. You went to the threshing floor. You, you, you uncovered the man's feet, and, and you have defined your intention for him. Now just wait, because God can do more in a split second than we can do with the rest of our life. Just wait. Boy, we have to learn to wait, don't we? You got in the way of some things and you messed things up? Have you had some broken relationships and you got in the way and you messed things up? And what you need to do after you've done all you know you're supposed to do, that to be right with all people, as far as it depends on you, you got in the way and you messed it up? Do your opinions get in the way and mess it up? Do your plans get in the way and mess it up? Do, do, do what you think is right get in the way and mess it up? Do your opinions run over and it gets you sideways and it gets you in a mindset, in a, in a place where you don't wait on the Lord to do what only the Lord can do? Wait. What a great lesson wait is. What are we going to do now, Naomi? What are we going to do? We're going to wait. I know that Boaz, and he'll do the right thing. He won't let this day go by without taking care of this. We're just going to wait. So here's what we do. We do all we know to do. We pray. We plan. We do our responsibilities. We do our requirements. But then we've got to have the wisdom to know when we are to stop and let the Lord work. Let him do what he wants to do. Let him do how he wants to do it. Don't get in the way. You probably have heard about the, they're calling it the revival that's happening in Asbury University in Moreland, Kentucky. I believe it's Moreland, Kentucky. What an interesting thing. I, I, I know that I've heard a couple people say, a couple text messages, boy, we need to have that happen here. We need to see that happen here. Let me tell you how it happened there. I don't know any details about it other than what I've read, 
But, but what I've read about revivals, this is what happened. They didn't plan it because you can't plan that. They didn't schedule it because you can't schedule that. You can pray for the Lord to work, and perhaps they did. I don't know if they did or didn't. You prepared the service. They had the re- regular chapel service. And they said their chapel service is worship and word. Guess what our chapel service is every Sunday? Worship and word. That's what we do. We don't have, we don't have fog lights and smoke lights and smoke machines, and we don't have nobody hanging on wires floating around any. We have worship and word. We pray about the service. I'm sure they prayed about the service. But when you're talking about the movement of God, you can't orchestrate that. You can't manipulate that. You do all you can do, and you trust the Lord. Now, when the Lord began to move there, they recognized it. Perhaps they didn't have a choice, but they recognized it, and they just went with it. They just went with it. I've, I've read some of the critics of what's going on there. Oh, refrain from being a critic of anything that might possibly be the hand of God. Oh, I, heard, I read one guy that said, well, it's nothing but a praise service. Let me tell you something. Just like if it wasn't the Red Sea that God divided and Moses went across, it was the Reed Sea. In other words, just a marsh with just six inches of water. Now, the miracle of destroying the whole Egyptian army in six inches of water is some kind of miracle. Right? So if you want to be a critic of those things, really think about what your position is in your criticism. It was just word service. When I read that that guy says, this isn't a movement of God, this isn't what's taking place, I I went, dude, you're not a preacher. You're not a pastor. You haven't been going to church very long because how in the world do you get people to stay past an hour? I don't care if all they did was worship. I don't care if they sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus 450 million times. They stayed there and sang that song. That's a miracle. They said that this is what they did. They had the regular worship, and then a guy got up, and he confessed his sins. He just shared the sins he had in his life and his struggles, and one thing led to another, And the Holy Spirit, they said, came in there like they've not experienced before. Their words, not mine. And it just happened. And they just went with it. And you see, that's what we do. That's what we should do on the activity of God and for the things that only God can do. We do our part. We pray. We preach. We teach. We prepare. We sing with all our heart. We need to do those things that we know to do. But then we we must wait on the Lord. We must wait on the Lord. You can't schedule it. You can't plan it. You can't do a better job of fixing things than the Lord can do. So you let it happen. I believe it's a genuine movement of the Lord. I don't know why it happened there. I don't know why it hasn't happened around here. It did in 95 at Cogden Avenue Baptist Church in Brownwood, Texas. And it was similar to this. It didn't last as long there as this has lasted. I don't know what the end results are going to be, but it's of the Lord. People are seeking him. People are confessing their sin. That's a result of the work of the Lord. 
Things are falling into place for people. Their testimony. They're saying, we don't understand this. We can't explain this, but this is what's going on. When the activity of God happens, let me tell you something. You're not going to be able to explain how it happened or why it happened or what was taking place that allowed God to do this because God doesn't do anything. And when God works, it is unexplainable. You just have to go, well, it's just God. God's not going to let Asbury get credit for it. He's not going to let that speaker get credit for it. He's not going to let the worship people get credit for it. Only God gets the credit for the movement of God. Only God gets credit. And, and this statement is wrapped up in how they got there, their response. Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. This man won't rest until he has settled things today. And so when whatever had happened, that after that young man spoke, and there began to be a movement of God, somehow or another, the Holy Spirit began to work in people's lives, and they just went, don't get in the way of this. Don't stand up and say, you have classes, we're dismissed. Don't do it. Don't say, the roast is going to burn. Let the roast burn. But what if it burns my house down? What if it burns your house down? The moon of God is more important than your house, right? But, 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 but my gosh, it's already 1149, and we've got to get out and get the kids. No, we'll bring the kids in, right? Don't get in the way. And so at Asbury University, maybe that's the number one thing that happened. No one got in the way and they let God move. And that's what Naomi told Ruth to do. Just don't get in the way, Ruth. God's been working. God has been providing. God has been on the move. I mean, you're about to be set up. It's going to be wonderful. And we're going to see here in a couple of weeks just how wonderful it's going to be and how he's going to set up that, that Boaz will be famous in Bethlehem and that, that Ruth will be famous in Bethlehem because of the work of the Lord, because of the work of the Lord. Let's pray. I pray your words will fall deep into our heart today, Lord, and that we will respond to your word in according to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.